You're listening to a Roddenberry Podcast. This episode of Mission Log is brought to you by listeners like you, supporters on Patreon. Join us today at patreon.com slash mission log. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, episode 451, Learning Curve. Welcome into another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion. And I'm Norman Lau. Each week on Mission Log, we do our best to be good students and learn all that we can from an episode of Star Trek, picking it apart for morals, meanings, and messages that we can take with us for the rest of our lives. Today, it's Learning Curve, the one where Tuvok takes charge of some students who do not want to learn what he's teaching. We will get back to Learning Curve in a moment, right after I let all of you know how you can stay in touch with all of us. Mission Log is a conversation about Star Trek. Drop us a line at missionlog at roddenberry.com and join us on Twitter and Facebook at Mission Log Pod. While you're at it, leave us a review and a rating at Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. And please remember, your comments could be used on Mission Log or Engage on the Roddenberry YouTube channel. And now, here's John Champion to learn us on some trivia. All right, today's episode, Learning Curve, was written by Ronald Wilkerson and Jean-Louise Mathias. All right, think way back to those days of Star Trek The Next Generation, and we saw the combined names of this writing team a total of four times. Let's see, there was Imaginary Friend, there was Schisms, Schisms, there was Lessons, and most thematically connected, maybe there was Lower Decks. As Voyager ramped up production, Ronald and Gene sent in a few pitches, and they even had a story that was heavily focused on Neelix, but along came Jatrell, and their story then uh, took the back seat while Jatrell was pushed into production. Still, they had a story in which the B-plot included some of the crew who didn't fit in, and they loved the idea of exploring this dynamic with the remaining Maquis. The producers liked it too. In fact, they liked it so much that they moved that up to the A-plot and gave them the go-ahead. Gene will be credited with one more Voyager episode and Ronald with three more. The episode was directed by David Livingston, and this is one of those critical decisions about a director for an episode. You have a guest cast, you have a bottle show, you have a season about to wrap. Now, David has directed so much Star Trek that he's one of the most reliable assets to the production, and he was given the orders to turn this one in absolutely on time and on budget, and that's just the kind of thing that he can do. It is a bottle show, but David was able to cut even more corners doing things like, and watch for this in the episode, in totally different scenes, leaving the camera setups exactly in place and just shooting multiple takes for entirely different scenes. So all that stuff in the Jeffries tubes and with the ladders, those are just all the same setup, didn't even have to move the camera. Now, this episode, oddly enough, has the highest Nielsen rating for a Voyager season ender in the series' original run. And very importantly, and probably will affect a bit of our conversation today, this was not intended as the season ender. In fact, four more episodes were shot for season one and then moved to season two. Now, let's talk about our very big lineup of guest stars today. Uh, Let's see here. Our guest stars are our Maquis crew, primarily learning to adapt to Starfleet life under Tuvok's tutelage. There's a band name for you. There's the Bolian, Chell, played here by Derek McGrath. And Derek is one of those actors who is constantly working across mediums and across genres, getting his start way back in the early 70s. He's had recurring roles on Cheers, Dallas, and a number of other shows. He has lent his voice talent to cartoons, games, and features. He even did so as Chief Quimby on Inspector Gadget for two full seasons. And don't think that we've seen the last of this particular Bolian. He'll be back for one more episode of Voyager in the same role. And Chell even turns up in the video game Star Trek Voyager Elite Force. 
There's the Bajoran, Garon, played by Kenny Morrison. Kenny got his start young. He was a child actor with his first on-screen professional roles popping up when he was about 13 years old. He was only 21 when this episode was made. In addition to the usual sitcom appearances, he is one of the stars of 1990's The Never-Ending Story Part 2. He also added director credits to his work starting in the late 90s, and most of his professional credits in the business wrap up around 2010. And two humans are in the group. The first is Henley, played by Catherine McNeil. Now, uh, you could find Catherine popping up all over soap starting in the 80s with daytime dramas like The Young and the Restless and later on Days of Our Lives to nighttime shows like Knott's Landing. TV and film roles fill out her resume, and while this is her only on-screen Trek appearance, she does provide a voice in the video game Star Trek Klingon. And then there's Armand Schultz in the role of Dalby, while he got his start in soap operas as well, and has made the rounds in TV guest star roles. He has also amassed a number of feature film appearances, Burn After Reading, Vanilla Sky, The Happening, and much more. He has also done more than a few voice roles in Star Wars video games. This is his only Star Trek appearance. Oh, oh, and and by the way, there are two kids at the very top of the show. That's Lindsay Hahn as Beatrice, making her first of three appearances on Voyager. As a child actor, she worked a lot, and then she turns up later in her career in longer stints on True Blood and uh, Such a Small World. And uh, young Henry Burley, well, that is none other than Thomas Decker. Recently, he's been a regular on Swimming with Sharks, but he probably first gained prominence with a recurring role on Heroes. And after that, sci-fi audiences may also know him from the unfortunately short-lived TV series Terminator, The Sarah Connor Chronicles. But this isn't the last of his Trek appearances, nor is it the first. The year before this episode, an even younger Thomas Decker was in the Nexus as Picard's kid in Star Trek Generations. Warning, we are fresh out of Chakotay. This episode contains only spicy Chakotay. Prologue. It's a big day in Captain Janeway's novel, where she's the governess of some precocious, humorless, holographic children, but we'll give them a break since they're dealing with the loss of their holographic mother. They try to get the upper hand, but Janeway holds her own, briefly. The program is interrupted when the kids vanish, and it appears to be some kind of energy fluctuation on the ship. In a corridor, Tuvok finds crewman Dalby making some unauthorized repairs to the bioneural gel packs, and that doesn't sit well with the Vulcan, who reminds the former Maquis crewman that repairs need to go through the right protocols. Dalby snaps back that he does things his way, and if Tuvok has a problem with it, then he can toss him in the brig. Act 1. While the engineering team tries to figure out what's wrong with the gel packs and figure out a temporary replacement, Tuvok brings Janeway and Chakotay up to speed on Dalby and some other Maquis crew members who just aren't fitting in. Stands to reason, since they aren't Starfleet, but here they are now on a Starfleet ship. Cool, you've got the job then, Tuvok, to give them a crash course in how to be part of a Starfleet crew. He meets his students. Dalby again, plus another human, Henley, a Bolian named Chell, and a surly young Bajoran named Garon. Tuvok comes in strong with the charge that he'll get them up to Starfleet standards, but as soon as the backtalk starts, he's got Chell running laps. The others can't put up with it, and Dalby has them all walking out, leaving Tuvok a bit perplexed in his own unemotional Vulcan way. Later, the McKee crew convene in the mess hall to talk over their plans. They'll do their jobs, but they are not going in for any of these stuck-up Starfleet rules. Chakotay joins them to get their side of the story, and Dalby speaks for them all when he says that they may be on a Starfleet ship, but they'll continue to do things the Maquis way. At which point, Chakotay straight up punches Dalby in the face, knocking him to the floor. That's also how the Maquis do things. So he can have it his way, 
or he and the others can shape up and start acting like a Starfleet crew when they see Tuvok the next time. Act 2. The next time brings the cadets in front of Tuvok for his uniform review. They don't all pass, but they are dismissed until later that evening for something TBA. In the meantime, Dalby airs his grievances to fellow former Maquis Belana Torres, but her advice amounts to suck it up, prove you can actually do what's wanted from you. There's another failure with the bioneural gel packs, though. This time, Belana takes it to sickbay, where the doctor and Cass run a scan. Indeed, the biological component of it is infected, but they don't know how or with what, only that it is contagious but harmless to the crew. They'll need to isolate the packs and run tests to figure it out. At the appointed hour, the McKee crew meet up with Tuvok, who has an activity for them, a 10K run through the ship, starting with about 50 Jeffries tubes, a pass through the mess hall. It's great if you like climbing, sweating, and carrying things on your back with your fellow crew members looking on with amusement. Tuvok judges the group on their performance. Even though he increased the gravity on one of the decks by 10% to give them an extra challenge, Garon and Chell still have to finish laps, and they'll do it all again the next night when Tuvok expects an improvement. Act 3. The next day, Balana and Harry Kim look through transporter logs for anything suspicious. The only recent transports were some food items Neelix had brought up from a planet, but nothing out of the ordinary. On the transporter pad, though, is poor Chell, using a micro-resonator to degauze the entire room, another of Tuvok's assigned tasks, and the equivalent of scrubbing the floor with a toothbrush. Chell has something else to do, though, when he's reunited with his Maquis crew in the next of Tuvok's training tasks. They're all on a recreation of the Voyager bridge in the holodeck in a test, and stop me if you've heard this one before, where they have to act as a command crew responding to a distress call that turns out to be an enemy attack. They fail the simulation, but they also fail to learn the lesson that Tuvok has to spell out for them, that sometimes the best action to take is a retreat to protect your crew and maintain tactical advantage. They're defeated and humiliated. Tuvok retreats to the mess hall, where Neelix immediately sizes up that something is on Mr. Vulcan's mind, and he's got just the metaphor to help explain what's going on. There's this flower that has a flexible stem, but every now and then, there's one that comes along that's inflexible and just breaks. Tuvok totally gets it. His cadets are inflexible. Uh, no, Mr. Vulcan, you are the one who has the inflexible stem. So, you know, bend a little. You can't treat the McKee crew as if they are already Starfleet. Neelix returns to his kitchen to add some disgusting-looking cheese to a pot full of something that is definitely not macaroni when Tuvok notices its foul odor. The cheese is homemade from some milk that they recently beamed up. Cheese has to be made from bacteria, and the kitchen is right below a ventilation system that connects to the rest of the ship. Act 4. So, guess what's causing all those bioneural gel packs to get sick? The bacteria flowed through the air system, and now the cheese is in a containment field to be examined by the doctor, and Neelix feels awful about it. Meanwhile, Tuvok does his best to reach Dalby one-on-one, -on -one, you know, a little hangout time between a couple of buds, some pool, some small talk. It's not going well. Tuvok isn't exactly winning over Dalby, who, it seems, has been walking around with a chip on his shoulder for a very long time. It does reveal, though, that Dalby is protective over Garon, and Chakotay and Tuvok see promise in him. The Doctor and Kess continue working on the problem. They may have a breakthrough, surmising that the gel packs are actually infected by a virus that was carried by the offending bacteria. They better work fast, though. Ship systems, including life support, are failing left and right. What's more, Tuvok and his trainees are stuck in a cargo bay, and neither the doors nor communications are working. Act 5. Things are looking bad all over Voyager, until the doctor has a breakthrough. He needs to give the ship a fever in order to root out the virus, and that's a job for engineering. Belana is going to reroute the, uh, well, 
she's going to invert the uh, – it's a whole thing that she's got to tech with the tech. It's happening, though, heating up the whole ship to an uncomfortable degree. Tuvok and his crew find their situation deteriorating, too. As Voyager heats up, so do the conduits in the cargo bay. With the door controls inoperable, Garon climbs up to a control panel to try from there while the others attempt to escape through a Jeffries tube. There's an explosion, and plasma gas leaks into the room, knocking Garon out cold. When Dalby sees what's happened, he's incensed that Tuvok won't go back for him. And Tuvok's logic, the sacrifice of the few to save the many, is the logical choice. Their disagreement turns physical when Tuvok threatens to break Dalby's arm if he doesn't escape with the others, but then Tuvok seals the entrance and goes back for Garon himself. Voyager's crew is getting sweaty and miserable with the heat cranked up, and Tuvok succeeds in getting Garon down from the control panel. Well, they fall unconscious, but at least they're on the floor now. Just in time, the doctor lets the bridge know that the infection has been killed, and they can turn the AC back on. This, right at the same time, the rest of the cadets force their way into the cargo bay and drag Tuvok and Garan out. It's a moment of realization for Dalby that if Tuvok can bend the rules enough to pull this off, then he and the other trainees can learn to follow them. The end. So, folks out there... I challenge you this 10 times. Say it with me. Bio neural gel packs, because John shouldn't have to say that alone. Bio neural gel packs. See, the funny thing is the people who hear mm-hmm. the edited version version of it. See, I couldn't even say version. The people who hear the edited <laughs> version of this show, they will hear me just sailing right through bio neural gel packs like I was born mm-hmm. to say it. The people who hear the unedited version, they will know that it took about 300 takes. <laughs> to get through <laughs> that phrase. That's why I want them to try, because now they know how difficult it is sometimes for us to get yeah. through our own yeah. scripts. So you you propose <laughs> the BNGPs, and that, that mm-hmm. might be how it goes. It, kind of a throwback to the uh, GNDN. All of you Star Trek exactly. fans, you should know what it is. And if you don't, we're not going to tell you. you got to look it up. The GNDN in TOS, LOL, ROFL, right? <laughs> exactly. So. Yes, that is exactly. it. All right. Hey, mm-hmm. uh, kicking off our look at Learning Curve. Look, oh, man, I'm so happy. Is Captain Janeway back in the worst possible holodeck game for herself? Uh, but, <laughs> I mean, but, okay, I will give them this, though. It, 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 there is some thematic foreshadowing, what with teaching insolent kids. You know, there's that. We can make that yeah. work. Yeah. I guess we're going to have to. I guess we do. I, <laughs> and look, and I will give the show a shout out. I do like the early adoption of an emphasis on STEAM, that, that is the acronym S T E A M, learning for kids, because, you know, he says, like, oh, your Latin is rusty, you know, awful, mm-hmm. awful. And she's like, but look, I'm about to school you in physics and science and all these great things. Very, very cool. Great to see Janeway leading the charge there. But she immediately addresses Beatrice about needlework and painting. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I want to see her like, all right, Beatrice, uh, day one warp field theory. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Yeah. Right? I'm going to teach you something that you really need to yes. know, right? As opposed to not need to yeah. know. I'm not going to go there. I mean, I know it's supposed to be immersion, but, yeah, you know, yeah. sure. The kid, though, yeah. you know, there's that old rule in Hollywood, like, no kids, no animals. <laughs> right. You don't want to work yes. with either. But the young lord, the actor who played the young lord, was so good at being Joffrey Baratheon. What? I'm telling you, right? A, yes, yes. <laughs> and, and, but, I mean, uh, truly a really good actor. Thomas Decker yeah. is no slouch. And I I completely did not make that connection until I read the trivia. And I was like, oh, oh my God, he's, he's really yeah. good. And... Yeah, wow, to have yourself immortalized like that. <laughs> pretty pretty awesome. Oh, wait, uh, uh, I do have a question. How many Maquis are there left on Voyager? Because it mm. seems like every week there are just more new Maquis to deal with. Yeah, Are they reproducing? Do they? Is that something we don't know about the Maquis? Are they all dancing at the head of a pin? Maybe. So, Maybe. Yeah, yes. along with the angels. Yes, yeah. Uh, 
Do you think that the 47 gel packs in reserve was just a little too on the nose, even for the joke 47? Yes, 100%. And I am glad yeah. that you mentioned it because, <laughs> oh, it just stands out sometimes. Sometimes it doesn't. It, sometimes it's clever. And, mm-hmm. and this one, it was not. Before Chell arrived on the scene, I like that um, the three Maki that were sent to Tuvok for training, they all represented the different branches. So it was nice to have, you know, you had sciences, you know, you had engineering and you had um, command, yep. like all in there. Yep. That was really cool. I just, it was also nice just to see uh, all the, you know, the, the cosplay that was going on yep. there. You know, it wasn't just like all command or all engineering. Yeah, yep, definitely. And holy crap, Chakotay deck Dolby. I just, I, I, I know I mentioned it in the recap, but... Chakotay straight up decked him. <laughs> that was yeah. uh, quite a moment. I will have something else to say about that later, but uh, wow. Yeah, he southpawed him, which is nice. Yeah. Um, as a left-hander myself, I was like, oh, that's a nice punch. <laughs> but And also, he kind of was doing like the whole raker thing. Like he did like the, the reverse chair sit. Yeah. You know, he grabbed yeah. the chair. Well, first of all, he was like, Chell, get up. Yeah. <laughs> move over there. I'm going to grab your chair. Power move right there. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Then he did like the leg over the chair thing. Not quite Riker style, but then punch. Also, yeah. though, not not to be completely downplayed, space cups. There are space cups here. And thank you to space, yeah, space cups. Uh, thank you space. to people in uh, <laughs> in the Discord who pointed out that there are space cups. I mean, some space tankards. Right. I don't know exactly mm-hmm. how they'll be categorized, but... Definitely a good look at those. And, man, I, I, I do think that Tuvok uh, checking out the uniforms, he would have freaked out on the Enterprise seeing Worf with a bandolier on or Deanna wearing whatever Deanna's wearing, you know. Mm-hmm. Definitely not the place for him. For everyone who's playing the home game, mm-hmm. in case you forgot that Starfleet in any way, shape, or form is not a military <laughs> organization, Yes, the way that Tuvok dressed down his subordinates during the inspection was very much in line with military. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Right. And and I got to say, a 10K run slash hike, whatever it is, uh, on board a small starship, that that would be a lot. That that would just feel like a lot. I I was really amused, though, when they run through the mess hall and Chell just takes a glass of water from someone. (laughs) I wondered if that was improvised because it was a good moment. But then Tuvok just sort of like hides it next to a plant by the door <laughs> like it was a weird choice uh that you you didn't have somebody there to take it from him but yeah it was it was a fun little moment so this is the goal the goal is first of all why hasn't that been cosplayed yet like ever oh my god okay yeah, yeah, yeah. i sense right? an opportunity for us go ahead and then second of all that's what you should do you should run around whatever hotel or whatever convention center that you're in grab certain drinks and just hide them <laughs> yes. along the way that's it and then people will be like oh gee those cosplayers and their 10k run that's it that's it mm-hmm. the costumes you know would require a little bit of work uh here's a bit of bonus trivia for you the shoes are air jordan x models that had been kind of uh, changed a bit so you know i'm sure you can hop on oh. ebay and spend a couple of thousand dollars to find those so yeah, literally. So the the costume would cost you one thousand and five dollars. One thousand for the yeah. shoes, five for the actual uniform. The gray itself, sweats, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so John, I'm I'm on your side about the doctor uh, when it comes to certain things that mm-hmm. he is the computer. The computer is sure. he. So when he says when he looks at the bioneural gel yeah. pack or the the BNG BNGP, right? Yep. He goes, I've never seen one of these before. <laughs> yes, you have. You're the computer. You're literally made by it. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. You're like, you should look at it like mom yeah. or daddy, <laughs> right? right? Yeah. You know, like, how am I going to save you? Because yeah. basically you are powering me right yes. now. Yes. That's, ooh, yeah. And as systems are failing, the doctor is not failing. Hmm. <laughs> right. He's actually the only one who's being able, he's the only one who's solving the problem. Yeah. It's like he's getting smarter as they Ooh, fail. Wow. All right. Well, this episode just <laughs> took a turn for me. Fascinating. Here's the thing with Tuvok and his training. First of all, it's not really bolstering their spirits. It's kind of mm. humiliating. So what do you actually think? Now, this is like Starfleet training. I train Starfleet cadets. I whip them into shape. Thank you, you know, Sergeant, you know, mm-hmm. Drill Sergeant Tuvok. Do that to Tom or Harry. See how they hold <laughs> <No>. <laughs> up. Right? And they are command staff. Yeah. They are on the bridge where all of the stress happens. Yeah. Put him through a 10K run. Oh, no. Not at all. See if they hide their drinks. Right? (laughs) Not going to happen at all. Uh, Let's cut over to the uh, holodeck training on the bridge simulation. Now, 
definitely a Kobayashi Maru thing, obviously. Uh, Chell says that Ferengi have been known to fake a distress call in order to lure in a ship. And my question is, to what? To like to 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 lure people in for a look at the gift shop? Like what? What do they? What what Ferengi get out of that? I I don't know. Well, there are those action figures. Oh, that that's true. You get so the much. entire Marauder Mo collection. That would be yeah. Right. Maybe that that's the game they're up to. And I, I do want to point out, nice little effect, when Tuvok is standing in the bridge simulation, and it's a composite shot, because of course you have to do that when you go back to the arch, but uh, he's there in the red, the red alert lighting with some smoke, and then the lighting just changes from red to white when he resets the simulation. It's a really good little subtle thing to do where you have a blend of a practical with the composite. It, it's so subtle, but it just works to sell the moment. The whole thing, the you know the the Kobayashi Maru type simulation mm-hmm. that was happening there. I think that for Star Trek of Star Trek fans of a certain age, we're like, okay, we get this. This is very Star Trek mm-hmm. to the Wrath of Khan yep. beginning. But what I what I really like drew me into the scene was at the end when Tuvok said, and this is much to Tim's credit, Tim mm-hmm. Russ, you know, who performed the line, the strongest tactical move is always the one in which you reap the highest gain at the lowest cost. It's so Vulcan, yeah, right? right. It's so Vulcan. The only other line I think that would have been better here is the only way to win is not to play the game. Ooh, yeah, good call, good call. Right? Yeah. So we are war mm-hmm. games after all. Neelix with the sick burn. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Maybe it's you yeah. who are the one that's yeah. not, you know, I'm like that. That's pretty good. That was fun. yeah, yeah. You know, nice on nice on Ethan to do that. But watching Ethan now as Neelix, watching him deliver those lines and after to trell, it makes me look differently at him now when he says these. lines. Yes. Right. Did that happen to you? Does that happen to anyone else? Uh, it, it has to. And, and, and yes, it does, because then you see that there is a depth there that, um, yeah, it's just a lot more going on to the character. So, yeah, again, exactly. it never let us forget that because I, I think it's very important. All right, Norman, it's time for the best line in the episode. I, I mm-hmm. think you and I both know what it is. Mm-hmm. Get the cheese to sick bay. <laughs> so good. It's so good. It, 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 and also delivered perfectly without irony, yeah. without a wink. It's just so good. Yeah. I would love to talk to Roxanne about that and say, okay. What was your reaction to it after cut yes. was said? Right? Yes. You're like, did I really say that line out loud? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. Gotta say, I was surprised to see a shot in Shay Sandrine uh, hanging out and playing pool with Dalby. That went dark really fast. It did. Yeah. yeah. Like, like, we knew what was going to happen. We knew that Tuvok would not be able to connect personally, that this was it's like something that he read in a book and said, I'm going to go do this. Mm -hmm. I will connect personally. We are now connecting personally. We knew that it wouldn't go well, but wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. And and, the thing is with that scene, like Tuvok said something and then Dalby said, you know, this terrible thing happened. And Tuvok's like, how did that make you feel? Yeah. Right. You know, it was like, I know you're trying, but I think both men in that situation knew exactly what was happening. So I don't think Dalby was giving him the benefit of the doubt, neither. And Tuvok didn't really understand that there was a benefit or a doubt to be given. Yeah. So you know, it was all about, if this said, if this was said, then X must be the next question. Right. If X is the next question and this response happened, then Y must be the next yep. question. Yep. Right? Exactly. And it was just like, creepy. And also, I do love, this is the home yep. game, anyone who plays pool around the table at Sandrine's, watch how they handle the cue stick. Hmm. This guy, the actor who plays Dalby, knows how to play mm. pool. The way he cues up his shot, the way he lines, the way he arches his back, the way he bridges his hand against the rail, the way he chalks, all that stuff. The guys played pool. Interesting. That's cool. Now, at some point, actually twice in the episode, they floated the idea out there of using Icelandic chips at some point. I'm kind of surprised that they didn't just have some on board that they could start dropping in. You know, they they still work. All the other ships of the Federation use them. But here's the question. Did anyone think of just putting the gel packs all in the same room and heating that up while maybe some isolinear chips just keep the air conditioning on for the rest of the ship? Like, that would have been one way to do it. Just, I, I know hindsight's twenty twenty, but if they ever run into it again, maybe they could do that. What's up with the logic, man? Seriously. Yeah, like, you know, why are you bringing the logic into this <laughs> at all? Yeah. It's the Vulcan in me. Sorry. Speaking of mm-hmm. which, uh, there was a a Styles. This is going all the way back to Balance of Terror. There was an interesting Styles-Spock dynamic between Dalby and Tuvok at the end where Ooh. 
uh, yes, the ending does wrap up a little too cleanly, a la most of like the '90s Trek. Yeah. But there was this whole thing where Styles was saved by Spock because a phaser bank overloaded and coolant started to leak out. Now they couldn't save Tomlinson, but they were able to save Styles mm-hmm. at, in Balance of Terror. The same, the same way that you know Tuvok and Dalby had this wonderfully quick and almost not even really believable reconciliation at the end. Mm. The kind of the way, and I like the way that they handled Spock and Styles because Styles said, "Like you saved me, you saved, you know, you put your life at risk for mine." And Spock's like, "I did nothing but save, you know, an experienced officer so that you can continue executing your function." Yeah, yeah. I really wanted that happen right. to happen, yeah, you know, with those that, two. That okay? Well, that that's that's the scene after they cut. <laughs> you know, well, of course, of course, yeah, of we'll never get that scene. And, and by the way, look, I, I know that we have an A plot and a B plot here, and they kind of flip positions in the script. But but just once, I want to see an episode like this. Uh, I, I want to see it end where the A and the B plot stories don't intersect. Like, can you picture it? The rest of the crew, they're out there they're sweaty, they're delirious, they're passing out from the heat wave, and then they they finally get to check in with the cadet crew, and they're just like. Yeah, we're we're in the holodeck ski simulation. We just what what happened to you guys? We're 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 fine here. How are you? Would you like some alien cheese with your spicy chakote? That'll cost you extra. We will get right back to learning curve in a moment, but first a word from this week's sponsor, and that sponsor is you. Specifically, all of our followers and supporters on Patreon, patreon.com slash mission log, where all of you have been able to take advantage of the community that we have there, the uh, early and unedited episodes of mission log, as well as the exclusive mission log swag that is available to Patreon supporters. But even bigger than that is the explosive growth of our Discord community. Norman, take it away. Discord for us, John, I think it's uh, every time we check in, it's always something new, a new conversation, you know, a new topic or topics that have been, you know, um, bandied around from episode to episode, all the way from the original series to all the newest episodes in Strange New Worlds to tangential science fiction from the 1950s, all the way to the 2000s, Stargate, Doctor Who, everything Jerry Anderson, which you and I love, Blake Seven. The growth and the potential growth of this group is all thanks to the group. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I mean, we've been really lucky that ever since Mission Log started, we've tried to curate a type of conversation that is about ideas around the uh, the pop culture that we are fans of. And Discord is a perfect offshoot of that and a great place to be able to check in at any time and find engaging conversations. So you've heard us talk about it here. We get emails from people saying, hey, Discord sounds great. How do I join it? Well, very easily. That's why we do this drop whenever we can in our episodes. You join it by joining Patreon, patreon.com slash mission log. And for as little as a dollar a month, even with a discount, if you join for a full year, then you get all access to that and so much more. So it's patreon.com slash mission log. And Norm, I believe we have some new patrons who have joined us. Uh, let's, uh, let's say hi to them. So thank you for subscribing. Thank you for supporting what we do here to T-Ski, Stefan, Chris, Laurent, Carlos, and Corey. For These are our new subscribers, and we thank you so much for believing in what we do and supporting it with your hard-earned latinum. All right. So we will see you all there at patreon.com slash mission log, and uh, see you in the Discord. All right. I, I mentioned it in the last segment, and I said I'd mention it again. Let me just say straight up, violence is not the answer. Striking your coworkers is definitely never the answer. But this is TV. And Chakotay has been one of the less interesting characters up front, for me anyway. I, you may feel differently. Other people in the audience may feel differently. That's perfectly fine. Seeing him knock Dolby on the floor to make a point was gold. I mean, that was, I, I guess, I, help me out here, because I, I think if there's any way to justify it at all, it's that 
this is how they interacted before they got there. Now, what we don't see is that off screen, he's got to answer to Janeway as well. And Janeway's got to say, hey, you struck a crewman. And he's got to say, yeah, I did. But this is how we did things on my ship. And then she gets to say, well, you're not on your ship anymore. You know, like there's a circular thing here that's a bit of a problem. But it was still very satisfying to watch. We're going all the way back to something I think that has been so woefully and so um, underutilized, and that's Chakotay's character. At the very Mm -hmm. beginning of the entire premise of Voyager, you were going to have Janeway in command, and then you were going to have Chakotay trying to wrestle with whose loyalty is he going to support? Is he going to support the people that basically has saved his lives a dozen times over? Or or is he going to kowtow to the Starfleet way, which I think, in my personal opinion, he was relegated to too quickly in this series. Totally. That's why you have to have a moment like this because to remind people like chakotay was is maquis yeah yeah 100 percent. Right. yeah mm-hmm. so it, it's it, it helps maybe i would have felt like this scene fit more so if we got this kind of thing earlier in the series mm-hmm. so and and i think you and i will always come back to this place where we say okay this is a misplaced episode um but it, it is still a valuable. I don't want to jump too far ahead, but but it, it kind of partly hinges on this scene. It's like what we get out of it is valuable. What we see of Chicote here is valuable, but it might have been more valuable had we seen it earlier. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I could pretty much take like a lot of what I'm going to say later, mm-hmm. clip that, and say it here. But I want to bring it more of an emphasis on this later. Yeah, sure. Especially on Chakotay. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. 100%. All right. So what do we have here at heart, though? I mean, the heart of the episode is this sort of workplace training and techniques, education, team building. uh, And, of course, there's learning happening at both ends. Tuvok and his cadets have to meet each other where they are. And you won't get anywhere just by constantly forcing people to do what you want. But I love, love, love Bilana's take to Dolby, and this is what I wanted more of, and I wonder why it didn't get more attention, which is it, it's so short, but it's so perfect. And I hope honestly that I can remember it for all those times in life that it is actually applicable. She just says, In other words, you're afraid that you won't make it, that you'll fail this training. I, I, that's not what I said or, or what I'm thinking. What you, you're thinking that I can't make it through this ridiculous exercise? That's absurd. Fine, then make it through. Reverse Psychology 101. I know! Right? It was great. It was so great. So much more effective than what Tuvok is doing. So maybe Tuvok and Balada needed to have a conversation about this. You know? But I I thought it was just ideal. That that should be almost the kind of thing that comes a little bit later that would snap him into place. You go like, no, no, no. this This is why you're doing it. You're doing it because you can, because that's what's expected of you, you know? I mean, for me, again, this is misplaced episode, not not necessarily because of where it falls in in um, the, the structure of the story, but where it falls so far away from the, episode, the uh, events that happened in Parallax. Parallax was the episode where we really saw the Maquis being Maquis. You had Seska and another Maquis in the hallway conspiring to, you know, to do Maquis things. Chakotay busts them down. He could have thrown a punch at you know, the guy or at Seska, probably not Seska. Mm-hmm. But he said, you know, we're doing things this way. We're going to you know, try and make things work. And he's fighting tooth and nail you know, for Balana because he wants Balana to be able to achieve and show that the Maquis way can work. And right. I think that it's, it's unfortunate that it is just so far removed from what happened in Parallax. So don't you think that this should have been addressed far earlier just to have a little bit more of a smoother cadence when it came to Chakotay, the Maquis, Chakotay, Starfleet, Chakotay, Maquis, right? Yeah, I, because what, what you're getting at, though, really is sort of this question of hindsight. It's this question of production reality affecting the stories that you're telling. So mm-hmm. here they, they get to spend all this time. They have the luxury of time of crafting a pilot episode like Caretaker, which is so strong in so many ways. But then it's like, oh, well, we've got to stretch this out another 15 episodes for our first season. Then we got to stretch out another 26 every season after that. What do we do? Well, 
you know essentially the the dynamic of the characters with each other but you also have this directive saying well they need to come together as a team all right but then you've got writers who aren't there every day because you have a combination of a writing staff or production staff and your outside freelancers suddenly a better story comes along like Jatrell, like whatever they go oh no 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 let's do this one because it's the better episode then you're backtracking to figure out well wait what are the things that we left on the table that we didn't actually explore from Mm -hmm. before um it, it it's an interesting question because as of our recording now looking back at voyager we're in the throes of star trek where the main way it's told is in short serialized seasons. That's a fair point. Very fair point. So so something Mm -hmm. like this now would be something that would actually carry you through an entire season. You know, it's, you know, there's no one right way to make a show, but I think what you're illustrating here is kind of the uh, part of the downfall of, of just the way TV was written then because then stuff like this does feel out of order and it feels like like good opportunities were missed. And I think one of those bigger missed opportunities was consistently showing the Maquis struggling with their identity because it's obviously there. Let's go all the way back again to Parallax and this one discussion that Janeway and Chakotay had where Chakotay was really at odds at this stage in their relationship. So I'm sorry, this is actually uh, in this episode. I'm going to come, I'm stealing a lot of my own thunder from the end sure, of this episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But earlier on, Janeway said it's not fair to expect Starfleet behavior from people who never went to the academy. Fair point. Tuvok says, okay, what's, what do you propose? What's the solution? Janeway said, we need to bring some of these people up to speed, instruct them on how to run a Starfleet vessel, show them why we do things the way we do, give them an opportunity to feel like they're part of the team. That's not preserving the Maquis identity, which I thought that she was mm. trying to balance. She yeah. wanted it to be a Starfleet crew. But Chakotay is like, well, there are certain ways we do things. And Chakotay proved that he could preserve that in Parallax with Balana. So... Mm. Either turn them all Starfleet, let them have the ownership of Starfleet, train them in the way of Starfleet, take those Maquis badges off, basically saying, like, here's my scarlet letter yeah, because right. I'm Maquis. Right. And then if I, if I wear this, that means that you're already prejudging who I am and my capabilities because of this freaking pin. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Take all those off. Let them earn it from non-com up. Yeah. And let them get ownership of their own responsibilities. That sounds like the Starfleet way. Any other way aside from that sounds like assimilation. I, I, you took the word right out of my mouth. I, I kept thinking that is a kind of assimilation. Then how badly does that go? Like, where do we end up a year from now where it's Starfleet 100% of the time, but, oh, uh, you get Maquis Day once a year. <laughs> Here you go. Here you go. We're gonna uh, we're gonna bake a maquis cake, and we're gonna have the uh, the maquis roast, and uh, we get ooh. to sing maquis songs for one day. Rest of the time, the Starfleet. Wait, and everyone gets time. a free punch at Chakotay that day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that's, that's how it right. works. Yeah. See, you're you're on board. You know how maquis yeah. day goes on uh, on Voyager. <laughs> Um, all right, let, let's talk a little bit about Tuvok and uh, his maybe strengths and weaknesses, glaring weaknesses as a, a coach, as a teacher, as a trainer here. Um, I mean, really, his approach can be summarized by that old directive, uh, the beatings will continue until morale improves. Mm-hmm. He kind of starts things that way and realizes uh, after a bit of time that that isn't exactly the way to go. Now, that line, of course, that it is always tactically correct to sacrifice the few to save the many. Whew. Okay. That, that's a very different line from just getting the tactical advantage, you know, uh, and, and uh, sort of expressing the idea of saving the crew in order to carry on to fight another day, to actually use your tactical advantage. This is a little more, um, uh, not not necessarily nihilistic, but it, it, it is a little cold. Emotionless? Yes, a little cold, <laughs> a little motionless, yeah. 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 Because when I, when I hear that and then I come down to this last scene, it's that last moment where Dalby and Tuvok are having their face-off, and you've got Garen 
who, by the way, face-off has a totally different meaning when we consider poor, long-lost Durst. Durst! I know, tragic, right? Mm-hmm. But um, And you've got Garen, who is passed out up at that control panel. When they're having that moment, what do you think? Was Tuvok going to save Garen anyway and just wasn't going to take the time to explain his decision to Dalby? Or was he actually prepared to let him die? Because re-watching that scene multiple times, there's not a moment of realization. There's not a moment of changing one's mind. There's just shoved Dalby through the Jeffrey's tube, throw on that door. Could Tuvok has, have taken the time to say, no, I'm going back for him. It's my duty to protect you. You know, I, I, I don't know. I, I kept rewatching that moment trying to figure out where is the point where the character is connecting to what's going on. You know, this is that uh, this is a great example of, again, TV being made at a certain era, uh, mm-hmm. maybe a certain innocent era versus mm-hmm. TV that's or movies that are made now, because I think at that time in that moment is where you would either capture an audience and say, this is a very serious topic that we're talking about. You know, the needs of the many outweigh the Mm -hmm. needs of the few or the one, even if that one is Tuvok or in this case, Garrett, right? So he lets him die, Hmm. but he said, if I didn't do that, then the three of you wouldn't be alive and neither would I. You know, it goes, again, all the way back to the example of Styles and Spock. Styles is saying, I can't believe you did this for me. And Spock's like, I didn't do it for you. I did it because tactically the ship is stronger with you than without you. Mm. So mm-hmm. I think that's – I really do think that I – not that I wanted that character to die, but there's a learning moment here. Like the reason why we did all of this is because this is the protocol that you have to follow. Would you rather have one – this is your trolley problem, John. Yeah. Would you rather have this one – and we were sympathetic to, you know – his story because you know he was uh, the story that Dalby told about Garen around the pool table sure we're sympathetic to this character we don't want anything to happen to him but at the same time though these are those moments that make episodes far more interesting and memorable when you have that moment right yeah focused on a character especially in this case Tuvok saying like what is your solution going to be and I really wanted Tuvok to have maybe wrestle with that a little bit more emotionally at the end if he let Garen die and say look I didn't want this to happen, yeah. but it happened. And I would rather save 70 to 80% of the team rather than all of us die because I didn't make that decision. That's the weight of command, right? That's the weight of the responsibility. Now, the trouble is, you know, you think about the next episode, the next episode, the next one after that. Mm-hmm. Every single time now, here's Dolby walking down a corridor wanting to punch Tuvok every time he sees him. He's got to wait for Maki Day. He's got right? <laughs> <laughs> but so what, what consequences have we learned that's my biggest my biggest biggest sticking point with voyager even up to this episode it's like yeah. and henley said this in the mess hall you know before chakotay you know punched dalby she's mm-hmm. like you can do we can do anything we want we can be the biggest a-holes on this ship what are they going to do brig us for how long Right. So that's my biggest problem. And I had this all the way with State of Flux when, uh, you know, when Maj Kala's assassin killed like the only witness that they had and nothing happened to him. No brig time, no interrogation, no nothing. Yeah. Right. So if, say, through the course of, you know, Chinese whispers or the grapevine, you know, the Maquis hear of this and like, well, if Janeway and Tuvark aren't going to brig like people that murdered their only character witness in an investigation, we can get away with anything we want because they're not going to do anything to us anyway. Right. 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 And it gets even deeper than that because Voyager is so lean when it comes to staffing. And this is like looking at it from a real world problem. Mm -hmm. When you're that lean on staffing and you have specialists, specialists can negotiate for a lot when they're the only one as good as they are at their job. True. Yeah. Right. And now Mm -hmm. what if that person was Maki? Yeah. What if that person was an expert, the only expert in the quadrant on that ship in bioneural gel packs? Yeah, there you go. Yeah. What do you do? The BNGPs, you need them. You need them fixed. What are you going yeah. to take them off the job? Of course you're not. Right. Right. What are the consequences? So, seriously, like Tuvok's got the stick. Yeah. There's no need for a carrot. Yeah. <laughs> right. right? Right. Exactly. <laughs> 
what lessons does this episode hold for us, aside from the wonders of sweatpants in space? Well, we've come to the end of our story today, and you know, folks, I like to think that Tuvok learned a little something, and Dalby and his crewmates learned a little something. Most importantly, I hope that we all learned a little something from Learning Curve. So, Norm, it's time to figure out what you and I learned from Learning Curve. And I'll ask start off in the uh, traditional way with uh, discussing whether or not the episode holds up. And then we'll get into our morals, meanings, and messages. So, Norman, looking at Learning Curve, do you feel like this episode holds up? So looking at it from the bell curve, grading it on the bell curve, right? Looking at it from all of the elements involved... I don't like saying this for the for kind of like the I don't want to be glib about it and I don't want it to sound like completely like sanitary but there's nothing technically wrong with this episode. Mm-hmm. I don't know like why I find this episode episode problematic but technically there's nothing wrong with the acting is fine and it's actually in some occasions better than fine. The production is fine. Uh, the way that uh, they economize, as you said, like a lot of the shots, and uh, you still had this you know, understanding that there's the ship is big, it's vast, it has all these corridors, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Everything's fine, but maybe that's maybe that's the problem that I'm having with this episode. It's that let me equate this to one of my favorite things I like talking about, and it's bourbon and scotch. <laughs> when you have a blended, when you have a blended, you know, uh, offering in a blended bourbon mm-hmm. and blended scotch, it tastes so perfect that you don't trust it. It tastes yeah. so smooth that you're like, why is this so smooth? There should be some character, quote unquote, to it. That's how I feel about an episode like this. It just right. lacks a little bit of that specific character, and maybe that's the way it was for Star Trek back in the 1990s, pre 9/11. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a certain vanilla-ness to the mm-hmm. storytelling. And, you know, it does feel a little out of place. And based on the trivia that you laid down earlier, you know, the, the curve of learning of your trivia that you had earlier, <laughs> because of the way that this was chosen as the season finale, it's no real season finale, right? There's no yeah. weight yeah. to it. There's no gravitas to it. There's no leading into the next season per se. But I think all of that, all of that being said, the biggest issue I have with this episode, and it shows the shortcoming of how they've handled Chakotay. Because Chakotay, when given the opportunity, is a fascinating character. Because he literally, like, straddles the fence between two worlds, Maki and Starfleet. Mm-hmm. And they wrote him so well in Parallax, which I think this is pretty much kind of like the bookend of, to that episode. In Parallax, mm-hmm. you know, he said to Janeway, if you look at it a certain way, my, none of my people will have seniority on this ship. And then Janeway said, that's the problem. They're your people, not Starfleet. And Chakotay is wrestling with her this whole time, saying, like, look, you got you to gotta meet me at least halfway. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, he becomes basically a well-in-lined, well-tuned first officer who does Janeway's, you know, quote unquote bidding as first officer mm-hmm. make sure the crew morale is okay make sure your away teams are okay make sure etc 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 is okay then you have this episode and he throws that punch i'm like that's the chakotay that i want to see that's the character that we saw in parallax that was lost between now and then and yeah. i really do think that that's just an unfortunate situation so that's where my problem is with this episode it's fine until they remind you how extraordinary this episode could have been if they actually had maybe a little bit more forethought or pre-planning or etc i'm not going to criticize for things that happened like what how was this 1995 yeah so there again there was a certain era of tv a certain level of production etc so i just wish that it had just a little bit more character that's all a little bit of spike in the flavor a little bit of something that was more memorable even if it was distasteful something that Mm -hmm. was a little bit more memorable how about Mm -hmm. you so this is what's funny is that I I wasn't going to put my notes here because I was going to let you say whatever you're going to say. And then I was just going to come in and the joke was going to say, it's fine. 
but but you but 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 again like the the meeting of the minds here you you use that word because it, it is exactly the right word for this episode there is nothing about this episode that particularly offends or excites the most exciting moment in this is chakotay punching a crewman which as far as drama goes works really well as far as actual workplace etiquette goes it is wrong we are missing a scene here where he actually gets dressed down by uh janeway because that that would happen at some point the guest cast are all very good Mm -hmm. i think uh tim ross he is a star player in every place that we've seen him in the series so far, even if he has been misused sometimes in those places. But he is always strong uh, whenever he's on screen. And even an episode like this, where it's about him learning and about him meeting people where they are, it's a little bit different take on how we've seen Vulcans so far in Star Trek. And I really appreciate that because if you look at like the Kirk Spock bones dynamic, yes, bones and Spock have their differences and yes, Kirk and Spock have their tight friendship, but the entire thing is predicated on them having a basic understanding of being in the same boat together and a basic understanding of Spock's intelligence and the qualities and strengths that he brings to the table. Here we've got somebody that you bring into this, you know, very foreign situation. Well, the the, the ship and the structure of Starfleet are not foreign to him, but having to command people who are absolutely not on the same page with him your logic and your training, your adherence to the rules only gets you so far until they don't, Mm -hmm. you know? So what we want here is the moment of recognition, that learning curve for Tuvok, less so for for the trainees, because we know that we're not really going to see those trainees again. We know that they're just there to serve the Tuvok story, right? So... Then you have to ask yourself, is that worthy of the A plot? Does the B plot actually, I I think mercifully the B plot is very short here because it really is just, we found a virus. We need to give the ship a fever. Now the virus is gone. I mean, that that's it. It is the thinnest of thin B plots. Thank goodness. It's not the A plot. And, and even trying to make those two stories merge at the end is, okay but it's not great again i'll go back to the word of the day fine but not great but not exciting and maybe part of what we needed is like you're saying we needed a point of high drama or we needed even just a problem here that is something we feel like wow we could really sink our teeth into Mm -hmm. so it is unoffensive it, it, it doesn't sort of shake up my view of the series or a Star Trek in general. It just feels like what would have been a show that should have aired, you know, a third of the way into the season. I think that's where it needed to be. This is misplaced. Even then, seven episodes in, it would have been fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so so it, it, it's, it, it passes, but just barely. It holds up because the production is running along smoothly. The actors are doing their jobs, but there's nothing here that really uh, will leap out at you and make you, you know, question your existence in the middle of the night. Well, here's a quick question before we jump into like Mm -hmm. the morals, meetings and messages. Is there, is there a shift that happened? Obviously in us as the viewers, obviously in the world in of itself after nine, the events of nine 11, but there, and especially the way that you know television or entertainment is produced now, it, there's there's such an extremism to the way that television is produced. And the way I say that is, there's an extremism is in the pacing, the narration, the character development, the production. Everything is very heightened and and very sharp. You know, everything is like mm-hmm. in super critical, crystalline focus, a hundred percent of the time. We're we've been conditioned to. Uh, approach and digest and and uh, extrapolate, memorize all of that in a certain way as an audience today. Going back to the pre nine eleven world of the late nineteen nineties of this is nineteen ninety five. This episode, 
is it hard for us to actually see a certain level of innocence and a certain level of mm. saccharine sweetness that was part of that era that we just can't see anymore? You know, that that's a really good question. And, and I think, though, that part of the answer is that even in the mid-90s, Star Trek was evolving, you know, for, for better or for worse. There was the sort of, you know, resolved moral of the week of Next Gen, but Next Gen also went to some difficult places. There was DS9 that was breaking all kinds of new ground, and for as many criticisms as you and I and, and many of our listeners and many viewers at the time had of DS9, they also realized that that was a show that was going to go even heavier, even more pointed in its look at how people live and work together and, and you know when the stakes are different, how do they live up to who they say they are or not live up to that, as the case may be. And along comes Voyager with this very earnest attempt to return to something that was even more innocent, moral of the week, lesson of the week. I have to feel like, you know, with, with, with the thoughtful stories that we've had so far, there's nothing wrong with Voyager going light. There's nothing wrong with Voyager just sort of being a personal journey every now and then. But this one just feels thin. Mm -hmm. That's all. It just feels thin. You know, we're coming off of Jatrell. That's true. Jatrell, that is Jatrell true. is yeah. Voyager's duet by design. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a good thing. You know, Stories that are that good are worth retelling and re-exploring. But we're coming off an episode that maybe they felt at the time, well, they can't really go to comedy. And we're coming up here at the end of the season. We don't really know what the order is going to be. This one's just sort of innocuous. Right. And I do think that if it weren't for being a season finale, I think we would probably be a little bit more understanding um, towards the nature of this episode and focusing on just the episode in and of itself as opposed yeah. to this is the end of season one of Voyager, the flagship series of the UPN. Right, right. Right. Because yeah, exactly. there's that baggage that's, that's associated yeah. with this episode too, right? Definitely, definitely. Yeah. yeah. So, our, all right. So it, it's a thin episode, but are there things to learn to walk away from this with to carry into our own learning curve that will affect the rest of our lives. What do you say, Norman? I think so. I mean, you know, okay, so, yes, we've mentioned that, you know, Voyager as a series is a little vanilla, a little sugar-coated. When you actually think about the peril that this ship and crew are in, so... Mm. The premise is you have a lost ship, you have a captain and a crew that have to depend on each other without fail in order to get home. That's the premise, as set up by Caretaker, 70,000 light years away from home. How do you accomplish this? And this is what I think, this is what I landed on as a moral in this episode. It's about trust, right? We're, we're mm -hmm. looking at it from a trust fall standpoint. If we're to believe that the conceit of this story is real... Let's just put that out there. Sure. Yeah. And if we are to believe that these characters are, in fact, living and breathing personalities because we fall in love with our characters and mm -hmm. you know, we fall in love with the nuances that make them these personalities, yep. if they're subject to the same physical and emotional stress that trigger us as human beings or as characters you know, to react in a certain way, you have this organic emotional spectrum of... They, they act a certain way. They behave a certain way. Can we trust the people that we are with? Are we going to be able to trust that their goal is my goal? Is that goal, in this case, what Janeway set out at the very beginning, the premise of caretakers, to get home? So, much like the real world, what we have in this episode is when human beings are required, emphasis on required, or forced to, if you wouldn't be really honest about it, mm -hmm. <laughs> to interact with each other for one reason or another, whether it's work or school or serving together in the military, etc., etc. Somewhere along the line, something or someone requires us to reach that goal in a very specific way. Their way. Mm. In this mm. case, Tuvok's way. Or the Starfleet way. The only way the leadership of Voyager trusts or will trust the Maquis is that if they basically reprogram these individuals to become Starfleet trustworthy, not just 
human trustworthy, not just crew member trustworthy, but Starfleet trustworthy. That's the problem that I find within this episode. When you remove the agency from people, when you remove their capacity to be able to achieve a goal the way that Mm -hmm. they are going to achieve it, even if it's different than the way that you want them to do it, the goal in and of itself is what needs to be focused on. That's how you build trust, right? That's how you build relationships with people. That's how you build democracies to in- increase the better understanding of the nature of people, right? Yeah. That's what I thought that caretaker was going to establish this individuality that is filtered through Echicote and then to Janeway. That's what I thought was missing in this episode overall is how do you get to that level of trust? Did Tuvok learn that? Did he learn to trust any of those trainees that he tried to reforge the Starfleet Mm -hmm. way, right? Mm -hmm. So basically, I'm going to sum it all up in one of my favorite albums from Metallica and Justice (laughs) for All. Right. Eye of the Beholder, where the lyrics say, doesn't matter what you see or into it what you read. You can do it your own way. If it's done just how I say. Oh, wow. The wisdom of Metallica nailed this episode. That's awesome, (laughs) man. (laughs) That's great. All right, John, bring us home, buddy. Bring us home. Look, look, uh, uh, definitely not as uh, literate as yours quoting Metallica. Mm. Um, You know, that old saw that you hear, you, you feed a cold, you starve a fever, and you sweat out the dangerous virus infecting your bioneural gel packs. That's Natural. that's how you approach this. Yeah, yeah, that's how you do it. No, look, uh, being a little more little more serious uh, with this one. For a lot of things in life, there is no one correct way to proceed. There is no one correct way to interact or to approach a problem. We're at our best when we can adapt to new circumstances and new information. And we can be so rigid in our approach to others that we lose the opportunity to learn ourselves. And the cadets have a nice little journey, but so, most importantly, does Tuvok. That's all very on the surface. It's all very obvious, but that doesn't make the lessons of this episode any less important, any less true. And uh, while we're at it, in the words of Tuvok, Don't let fear get the worst of us, uh, as he does in that scene where they're trapped in the cargo bay. His cadets are assuming the worst about what's happening near the end. But but all along, people like Dalby are assuming and expecting the worst, no matter what. And again, I go back to one of my favorite lines in this, other than take the cheese to sickbay. This is why I love Balana calling him out and just saying, fine, make it through. That's the lesson that I think I get to take away from this because things can be falling apart around you. But if you assume that they will only get worse instead of deciding to make it through, then you won't. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. If you would like to support us directly, you can do so at patreon.com slash mission log for early access to shows and the Mission Log Discord. Our website is missionlogpodcast.com. And for more Star Trek news and discussion, visit trekmovie.com. On the next mission log, the 37s. Some of the music for mission log provided by Warp 11. Online at warp11.com. Special thanks to consulting producers, Adam Brusky, Matt Esposito, Homer Frizzell, John Mann, Mike Richards, and Mike Shabel. Hey everybody, Maki Day is coming up. Remember to swing by Chaco Tay's Punch Bowl. It is also spicy. And transmission. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.rottenberry.com.